Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Very excited to be with you tonight. A lot of, lot of stuff going on in the world of the National Basketball Association. It is All-Star Weekend, after all. I'll get my predictions for... Well, not the skills competition. I don't know why we still have that. We got Sabrina versus Steph. I'll get my predictions for that. Also, the winner of the three-point contest, the winner of the dunk contest, and the winner of the All-Star Game and the MVP of the All-Star Game as well. So we got NBA All-Star Weekend. I'll get my predictions for all that at the end of the show, top of the hour at 7 Eastern, uh, uh, 4 Pacific time. Also going to get into a Clay Thompson who came off the bench for my Golden State Warriors and looked like vintage Clay. looked fantastic. Uh, very excited to discuss that and why the Golden State Warriors will be in the Western Conference Finals. Worst case scenario. Very excited to get into that. Uh, also, what else we got on tap for tonight? Caitlin Clark, the all-time women's leading scorer in the history of college basketball. Going to talk about her and why she is one of the five most entertaining basketball players, men or women, on the face of this earth right now. And going to do a segment. I've done this three years in a row where I've done my playoff weaknesses for the NFL teams going to the playoffs, the 14 teams. Obviously, 13 of them are not going to reach their ultimate goal. But look at uh, what I said in terms of my where I have my weaknesses for them coming into the playoffs and see how accurate they were uh, in the end. So I'll get into that in about 45 to 50 minutes or so. So tons of sports to get into. And, and listen, college hoops, NBA, some NFL regarding the, the playoff, uh, I guess sort of or to wrap a bow on the playoffs. But America struck again. And what I mean by that is that just as we consider things like things that are quite cliche, like apple pie and Uncle Sam, uh, mass shootings have become part of our American identity for quite some time now. Or they ha it has been, rather, for quite some time. The Kansas City Chiefs had a parade on Wednesday. And I happened to be recording my podcast. It was a pre-recorded show that just happened to air at 6. I didn't do it live that day. And this is live. And toward the end of the Kansas City Chiefs parade, gunfire broke out. 22 were shot. And an additional person was killed. This marks, if my numbers serve me correctly, recently updated, as of Wednesday, 48 mass shootings in the first 45 days, 2024. As a matter of fact, that gun rate is actually down from last year. So it's become our identity. Now, I've spoken on this issue many times in the past. I spoke about Uvalde in May of 2022. I spoke about Covenant in 2023 a year ago and felt you know very close to home in March of last year cuz it, it was in my home state of Tennessee and I'm now speaking about it now in the Kansas City Chiefs parade. So, I will speak to you and talk to you the audience, those who are taking the time out of the day to watch or listen in the best way I know how, and that's from the heart. So, again, mass shootings have become our identity as this, uh, as, as a country. There's a number of reasons for that. You can point to mental health. You can point to the obsession with guns in our culture. You can point to bad parenting. You can point to a lot of factors that have all culminated in what is an epidemic in this country. What is infuriating, for me at least, maybe it's because I'm Gen Z, and when certain tragedies occur, you know, certain events occur, it hits 
different people different ways. And I think about this more from a generational perspective in the sense that you have individuals in Washington that are overwhelmingly not Gen Z and less so overwhelmingly so not millennial. Two of the generations, and then you have Gen Alpha after Gen Z, obviously, but they're obviously not old enough to hold public office. Overwhelming majority has not had to worry about being a kid, and the reason I mentioned being a kid is because over half of the victims shot, over half the 22 victims shot, were kids in between the ages of 8 and 15. And you have individuals in positions of power who've never had to worry about this problem in their lifetimes, certainly in childhood, something unthinkable in the sense that kids deal with more from a trauma perspective in regards to gun violence than even the brave men and women who serve this country do, even our brave troops, some of them. You think about it from the perspective that <laughs> they have the power in their hands to do something about it. Not only will they not, when the many solutions are so clearly obvious, but it's the disingenuous response that we have become almost as numb to as the shooting them, shootings themselves. Thoughts and prayers, heartbreaks for Kansas City, or insert any city, because it feels like every city in this country has been impa impacted by this horrible disease. And then move on, get back to fighting the evil other side and getting your cable news appearances in, um, and doing absolutely nothing to protect this generation and all generations in general. You now have a group of kids who were not shot, but now don't have a mother. Many have a story similar to this, and it drives me insane that anytime the gun discussion ever comes up, we view it. There's a lot of political issues going on in our society. You could think about immigration, think about health care. You, you could think about a lot of different things. Police reform, voting, all of the above. This gun debate, among average everyday Americans, not that much of a debate. You look at these polls. I mean, I saw one the other day from Fox News. Now, not judging conservatives. I'm a political independent. I, I, I call it call balls and strikes on both sides. But we would all agree Fox News isn't exactly a liberal corporation. And even they have had polls in the past, have one pretty recently, talk about how 90% of a Fox poll talked about how they want to see at least background checks. You have states like the one I'm currently residing in right now and I'm from the state of Tennessee who or where you don't even need a permit to carry a weapon, to carry a firearm. It's in this discussion where among average everyday Americans, it's not that much of a debate. We all want to see change. Any sane person with a soul wants to see something done about this problem. <laughs> but you have folks in Washington and the fringes amongst the everyday citizens who use nonsensical phrases such as, well, you know, bad guy's going to find a way to get the gun, so why even, why even try? <laughs> yeah, why even have laws? That, that's a great concept. We should apply that to a lot of things. Yeah, you know, you know what, though? Why don't we apply that 
to to our southern border? Why have laws? I mean, I, I know we've got a, a lot of issues in regards to that, whatever you lean politically. We've got a lot of issues with the border. Why even have laws in general? If that's your logic, then uh, simply put, I don't think you can be reasoned with. One of the arguments for years that I've pushed back on is, you know, the only thing to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Well, guess what? There was 800 proverbial good guys with guns, law enforcement officials in Kansas, from Kansas City and outside of it with guns, good guys with guns, cops, law enforcement. And for the record, I'm not blaming a single one of them for this. This isn't like the Uvalde response where the police response was piss poor. It was pathetic. This isn't that situation whatsoever. Matter of fact, I think in general, the law enforcement did a pretty darn good job after the shooting happened trying to, to clear it out and, and do the best they could with, with what they had. But it still happened. Now, why it happened, I think there's a few issues at play. Um, one is obviously bad parenting. Now, we had two juveniles, it was reported today, uh, taken into custody, uh, two suspects. Um, again, under the age of 18, uh, who have firearms. Here's my question. Why do they have firearms? Well, there's two factors that go into that. One is it is as easy. It is easier to buy a gun in this country than as Charles Barkley talked about the other day I saw than it is to buy a car. Now, listen, buying a car, it, it's a process. You got to go through different, you got to jump through different, uh, not loopholes, but jump through different hoops in order to get the car. Gun, purchase a gun on the black market. Heck, buy a gun online. It's yours. No worries about it. That's one of the factors. It's too easy to buy a gun. And second of all, it is inexcusably pathetic parenting. Now, I don't know the home situations of these individuals who committed these heinous crimes. No idea. But obviously there was not some sort of role figure. Now, the problem with that is you can't really legislate parenting. Now, I do know there was a shooting recently because there's so many um, more shootings than there are days in the year over and over and over and over. And a matter of fact, the rate is actually down this year, which makes it all the more depressing that they put one mother in prison whose son committed a, a shooting um, for decades. And I believe the father is going to go on trial soon. Maybe that's a way to address that uh, from a legal perspective. But again, in regards to the easy access to firearms, in regards to all of these issues, the answers are right there. You know, I saw, or I was thinking about this, how if we had as many people killed this year by um, food poisoning as we have by guns, if there was a, an epidemic where people were dropping like flies because of because of the, the food that they were they, they were consuming at restaurants or buying from grocery stores, that the food was bad for them and it was killing them. My guess is we probably take a step back and say, okay, something's up with the FDA or whatever, and we probably need to go in and, and fix this, this situation because a lot of people are dying like crazy from food poisoning. We would address it. Heck, when 9-11 happened, in 01, airport security changed Forever and obviously for the better to prevent such a horrible, a horrible event like that from ever happening again. Anytime any sort of crisis happens, in almost any other instance, we tend to address it. I mean, seatbelts in cars decades ago, all of the above. But with this issue, we all of a sudden become 
we, not as in the American people, because in general we tend to agree on, the, on many of the solutions to this problem, we have those in Washington and those in the fringes who all of a sudden become so close-minded and illogical in their arguments, in their cases that somehow, some way, you should have kids out here with weapons. We have members in Congress who thinks the gun culture is somehow sexy. I can think of one in particular. Hey, screw it. This is, this is a major event. Well, I'll, I'll say the person's name. Lauren Boebert of Colorado, who years ago had a Christmas card where all of her kids under the age of 18 had firearms in their Christmas card. The culture also plays factor into this. How somehow, some way, having a weapon of that can kill many people at a time is all of a sudden something we should celebrate or think is this ideal of what it is, idea of what it is to be a patriotic American, whatever the heck that means. And because of this, because of all these factors, you have my generation, the generation before mine, and the one after mine that has been robbed of <laughs> basic, and not just our generations, but in particular, because this is all we know, uh, and even generation before us, because they've been obviously involved in, in these in these mass shootings, is robbed of an ability to do something, add this to the list, to go to a celebration for a championship, the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, to commemorate, to come together as a city. How often, this is why I love doing a sports show. I, I, I could... I couldn't do a political show three times a week for an hour and a half a day. It's just, it, it's a lot. Um, not that many, not that much time on, as much time as I spend on sports, I couldn't spend it on politics because it tends to bring you down the longer you spend on it. But sports, why I love it, it's the one thing it brings us together. That and music. Because I can guarantee you of the over 1 million people in that parade, involved in that parade, there were different, different races of people, ethnicities, Religious backgrounds, uh, you know, socioeconomic statuses, uh, sexual preferences, people, religions, all different type of, of, of individuals who all came together for one celebratory, celebratory purpose. To commemorate the hometown champion Kansas City Chiefs. Couldn't even do that. Kids got off school. A lot of businesses were, 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 were closed for the day because oh, basically they shut the whole city down because of how big the parade is and the route and how many people are going to show up. Can't even do that. Go to parade, go to school, go to church, go to a movie theater, go to a grocery store. You name it, it's probably not safe from gunfire. And so you have a generation of people who are trained to, to somehow, some way be aware of, okay, if a shooting happens, here's my exit strategy. In school, in parades, anywhere else. Where's my exit strategy? Where's the nearest door? Where's the nearest window? I'd be remiss if I didn't say that that's part of my own personal psychology. If I'm in a room, in a public space anywhere, where's the exit door? How do I get out of here if God forbid something happens? And we have allowed this to happen. Those who have the decision-making ability have allowed this to permeate our society, and it's who we are as America. Mass shootings is a part of our culture. It, it's not just a part of our culture. It's who we are. I saw this stat from Everytown um, today 
about how the U.S. gun homicide rate is 26 times higher than that of high other high-income countries. Ours is at 4.38. Second place is France at 0.4. They're at 0.4. We're at 4.38, 26 times higher than France and other even higher than other developed countries. That's who we are. Now, if I can be a bit optimistic, I do believe that this is going to be fixed one day. I really do. Because I think when you have generations like mine, um, ones before me, ones after me, that are going to one day, in some cases for me personally and for others, this year, going to have the ability to vote, to put people out of a job who obviously don't give to, you know, what's the people getting shot dead in the streets and dead in any public place in America every day, that eventually it's going to be a strength in numbers situation and you will be able to, we will be able to elect people who do care, who do have the most basic level of human empathy to address this. But why should we have to wait for that? Why should this be something where we have to sit back. Okay, we just got to wait for for my generation and others to get older, to have the ability to vote, then address it. More kids are going to die. More adults are going to die. Men, women, children, and these clowns in office, because that's what they are, do nothing. Now, the fact of the matter is we have had other, quote-unquote, identities as a country, and we have many different ways to to describe America, the land of opportunity, um, however you want to do that. 150 years ago, as recently as that, we were a country that permitted, I'm sorry, 160 years ago, we were a country that permitted owning people. It was who we were. Didn't make it right, but that's who we were. Thankfully, due to the work of brave abolitionists, eventually got policy changed, and of course, we don't own anybody here anymore. But it was still part of our identity. This is our identity. It's who we are as America. It's heartbroken, and I'm tempted so so often when something like this happens. I am tempted to give up. I'm tempted to say, you know what? It is our identity, and nobody's going to change anything about it, so why bother? If we do that, then those who are cool with this happening win. And this will keep happening every single day. There is no one solution. There is no one source to the problem. But when you don't even put in the effort to look at all of these and try and put in legislation to address all of these, you're going to get what happened in Kansas City, Missouri, and what's happened virtually everywhere in this country. It's who we are. It's what we do in America. We have mass shootings. I don't want to ever – listen, America is, we hear in the, the national anthem, the land of the free and the home of the brave. We are certainly the home of the brave, and in many respects, we are the land of the free. In this area, we are simply not free because if you can't go to a grocery store, a school, a church, a synagogue, a mosque, a championship parade and feel safe, then my friends, you are not free. None of us are until we make the necessary changes to address this issue. 
I am gutted for Kansas City. I'm gutted for everybody who had this awesome moment in their life stripped from them from who from stripped from them by who we are as America. And it is it's infuriating. Every show, every, almost every show, and I have done this since the Covenant shooting in March of 2023, I end the show. One of the things I say to, to in, in the show close out is please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America because I think there's a lot of issues in this election, and we, we don't even have to – we don't have to, it take a 10-part podcast series to get into all of them. But what bothers me is it seems like every election cycle, every two years, every four years – that this isn't even the topic of discussion. It's infuriating. It makes me sick to my stomach, and I just hope that they, we can somehow wake up, make our voices heard at the ballot boxes in November, um, put the disingenuous clowns out of office who refuse to do anything, and prevent something like this from happening again. I wish I had a more optimistic tone. But there's no reason to be optimistic when those in office don't give us a reason to be. And that's where we sit today. As, and of course everybody feel free to chime in the comments section. It, it, it's, it's, listen, talking about a subject like this, um, it's really, really hard to transition back into sports. Really freaking hard. But mine is a sports show. And y'all come in. Y'all take the time out of your day, at least when my show is live, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And y'all watch my content on YouTube and otherwise every other day, essentially. Um, taking the time out of y'all's days, out of y'all's busy days to watch my show, to get sports content. And I thank y'all from the bottom of my heart for that. And that's what we're going to do. We're talking NBA, college basketball, some NFL. And I, I, I hesitate to say provide a level of escape from this because I don't think we need to escape from it because I, I want this to, to remain fresh and not us not become numb to this one like we so often become numb to the others. Um, but more than anything to serve the purpose for what I believe the show to be about. And it's why I spoke about this issue is to hopefully in the, in my little way to bring folks together to talk about outside of sports, at least issues that matter. Um, and then within sports have some fun because as dark as this world is, as, as dark as it can be any way for us to, you know, Engage with each other in a respectful and fun-loving way. I think sports is the the prime destination for that. And so from here, albeit awkwardly, we'll transition into sports and start with the NBA. And the NBA is now currently in its all-star break. The there was three games last night. Uh, the Bucks somehow lost to the 
uh, Memphis Grizzlies last night. Milwaukee's three and seven their last ten. Pretty unbelievable. And I think Minnesota beat Portland last night pretty comfortably. Obviously, Portland's in a rebuild. And so it's All-Star Weekend. I'll predict All-Star Weekend at the top of at the top of the hour. But a game last night featured my Golden State Warriors and the Utah Jazz. And it was, to say the very least, a high-scoring affair. Golden State wins 140 to 137 in Salt Lake City. It was a game that actually was rescheduled because of the tragic death of one of the Warriors' assistant coaches, uh, Decky, as he's become known. And and the, the this game got scheduled to, to last night. And Golden State won 140 to 137. And by the way, the Warriors have won eight of their last 10 games and have went from as low as 12th in the standings and moved up to 10th and right in a dogfight with teams like the Lakers, with the Kings, with the Pelicans, with the Mavericks, who although Dallas is playing very well right now, and Golden State is in, in that kind of play-in area. More on the Warriors in general a little later, but the major story for this game was Clay Thompson. Now, Clay, as I have talked about all season long, and it's been depressing for me as a Clay guy, as a Warrior fan, as you know, somebody who watched this dude come into the league. Now, I, did, I wasn't a Warriors fan when he came into the league. I became a fan in 2013 after the Warriors' first playoff appearance. But to see this guy go from solid role player to really good to all-star to this guy's a fringe top 10 player and then come the injuries coming back and able to win a championship in 2022, lead the league in three-pointers last year, and this season unquestionably has been the toughest year of Klay Thompson's playing career in the National Basketball Association. Well, Clay was moved to the bench after, again, by his standards, not a very good season. Clay Thompson this year, if we could pull up his numbers, uh, Clay has averaged uh, 17.3 points per game, 3.5 rebounds, two assists, and is only shooting 42% from the field and 37% from three. Now, the 37% from three is pretty good for just about everybody else. For Clay Thompson, though, one of the five best shooters ever. We expect better from that, and he's been forcing shots. He seems to be in his own head, in his feelings at times. We know it's a contract year for Clay. He's he's regressed due to the injuries. It's been a rough year for Clay Thompson. And I suggested last week, last Wednesday, that before the trade deadline, I would strongly consider moving Clay because Golden State has, by and large, been a better basketball team without Clay. And but they they keep him, they keep Wiggins, they keep all the guys that. A lot of Warriors fans, like myself, thought that they might move. Clay was moved to the bench last night, and Clay was—I don't want to say the best Warrior. I thought, I thought Draymond was the best Warrior last night, even better than Steph. Steph didn't play that well, but Clay led the team in scoring, dropped 35 points, also got a six boards, 13 for 22 from the field, seven for 13 from three-point range. Now he did go 0 for four in the fourth quarter, but for three quarters, the guy was absolute red hot, vintage Clay. Kill a Clay as he's become known by a lot of Warriors fans. And the Warriors won a game that they were dominating throughout, almost blew another one in the fourth quarter. That could have been a devastating loss coming off of a, a blown 15-point lead against the Clippers the night prior. But Clay Thompson is moving into the next phase of his career. There's no question about this. And I credit the culture in Golden State that has been set by Steph Curry, the unselfish nature where it's about winning. It's only about winning. And not, not, it's not like to the Patriots level where it's win at the expense. Uh, like you, Even if you're absolutely miserable and our culture is so, so held together by the greatest quarterback ever, you just do your job, do your job, run your head through a brick wall, and hope number 12 saves us. And for Golden State, it's not that at all. It's a much more fun-loving, move-the-basketball type of, type of culture. 
And Steph Curry in the past, coming off of injuries, has come off the bench in his career in the playoffs. He did it in 2016. He did it in 2022. He has a history of this. And so I imagine Clay looked at Steph. Clay's looked at other guys. Draymond came off the bench a couple of games last year in the playoffs and saw like Wiggins has come off the bench this year and be like, you know what? Who am I to, to pout and to complain and to essentially sit up there and say, I'm above this? It shows you the basketball character of Clay Thompson to be able to sit up there and say, you know what? If this is for the better uh, betterment of the team, then I'm going to go all in on this. And he got his high, highest scoring game of the season. Now, Brandon Pajemski, by the way, is going to be in the NBA Rising Stars game tonight. What a great pick by Mike Dunleavy Jr. Pajemski's been excellent. But he replaced Clay in the starting lineup. I, intend, I anticipate he will for some time. And it's, it's played better than Clay. He's been on triple-double alert virtually every night. He's played good defense. He's very, especially for size, very active on the glass. Great shooter. And feels like sort of Clay's replacement for the future. But if this is the role that Clay is going to play this year, the rest of this year at least, and if it's a role that he's willing to buy into in the future, Clay, I think, is worth keeping around. Now, that's not to say he's going to drop 35 off the bench every night. I think last night was the peak of what you can get from bench Clay. But if it's more of a, okay, the game is already settled in, guys are ready to go, we put number 11 in the game, he's a spot-up shooter who's not near the defensive player he used to be, he's not even close, but can still play solid defense, is active enough on the glass, has played more unselfish basketball as of late, then Golden State's a good position. By the way, here's Clay Thompson after the game talking about the conversation he had with Steve Kerr and what led to his move to the bench and his response. Found out this morning, me and Steve had a good talk about it, and, uh, you know, you could do two things. You can pout or you can go out there and respond. And I thought I did the latter very well tonight, um, especially no turnovers. And I missed a few box outs, though. But more importantly, uh, I realized I'm going to play a ton of minutes. So you just got to let the ego go when you think of coming off the bench and all that. So, I mean, I thought about Mono Ginobili. That guy has four rings. and gold medal and he came off the bench his whole career and I don't think anyone looks down on his Hall of Fame candidacy he's uh, one of the greats and I thought I I mean I embraced it that, before tip and uh, I mean I deserved it really I didn't didn't respond to the not playing at the end of the game well last night I kind of took it out on the assistant coaches and I apologized to those guys before the game and I think that really let uh, my guard down. Let me just be myself out there. There you go. And Clay has Clay. There was an article the other day written about how Clay had sort of embraced this. Like I'm going to do whatever I need to do necessary to to make us better as a team for Golden State as a whole. Now y'all know I'm a diehard diehard Warrior fan. I love my Red Sox. I love my Tennessee Volunteers. Of course, I became a Steelers fan this July. Love my Steelers um, and, and becoming more accustomed to the Steelers culture and whatnot. There is a, I, I don't know if it's because it's been the same group for so long. You become attached to the guys just as much as you do the franchise. But I don't know. There's like a special, I don't know if sentimental is the right word to use, but like just a special love and fandom that I have for, for the Golden State Warriors. And I did pick them before the season to win a championship for a number of reasons. Number one, they have the second best basketball player on the face of this earth. His name is Steph Curry. They have one of the five best defensive players and jack of all trades in Draymond Green, who, by the way, I heard Draymond Green, as I talked about on Wednesday, the juice is no longer worth the squeeze. He's not the same player. He's not that good. 
Yeah, Draymond Green dropped 23 points, five rebounds, five assists, nine for 14 for the field, three for five from three-point range, and was excellent last night. Uh, by the way, he's averaging nine, six, and six, shooting 51% for the field and 42% from three-point range. Uh, nonetheless, Draymond can't play more. That's what I heard anyways. But Draymond's still great. I thought the Chris Paul addition as a bench guy would be good. Now, Chris Paul's been hurt, and that is a concern. Chris Paul is up there in age, but I thought the young guys would step up. I did predict Jonathan Kaminga to be the rookie of, I'm sorry, not the rookie of the year, the most improved player of the year. And while that could go to somebody like Kobe, Kobe uh, White, Kobe White, it could go to Jonathan Kaminga if he continues what he's been doing. He's averaging over 20 a game over the last month, playing great defense. He's fit perfectly. pajemski has been a godsend. Wiggins has played exceptional over the last couple of weeks. Looks more like the old Andrew Wiggins we saw two years ago. And the defense has been demonstrably better. It's been top 10 in the NBA over the last 10 games in which the Warriors have won 8 of 10. And I maintain that Denver is the team to beat out West. They are absolutely, I know they lost three straight going in the break. It's Denver, it's Jokic, Jamal Murray. It's a well-coached group, Michael Malone. They're going to right the ship. It's, it's a great basketball team, excellent roster, great home court. They'll right the ship. And I think when it's all said and done, the Denver Nuggets uh, will end up being the one seed. I get right now they're three games back of the Timberwolves. For some reason, I feel like Denver's going to get hot, be the one seed. Because they got a lot of guys in their prime, care about the regular season, care about the seeding, and have the playoffs, at least in the West, run through ran th run through the Rocky Mountains. After that, it's a free-for-all. Because if you look at the standings out West, I'm looking at them right now. On the top end, it's young, it's inexperienced, it's really talented, but they've just never done it before. On the back half of the West, it's Kevin Durant, it's Steph, it's LeBron. Guys who have been there, guys who have done that. Now, Sacramento, they're in a weird spot because they're young. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, I think, has kind of moved into his prime. Right now, Sacramento's the eight seed. Like, you, the last year, they were the three seed. We'll see if Sacramento is able to move up the standings as well. Hopefully, my Warriors can catch them in that regard. Maybe even avoid the play-in tournament, which they are five games back of the six seed. That'll be quite difficult to do, but we'll see. Is that the teams we consider, oh, they're the teams to be out west. Put Denver aside. And I think Golden State could beat Denver, but it'll be a it'll be brutal. It'll be tough. After that, OKC never been there before. Minnesota outside of Ant and Mike Conley, albeit an older Mike Conley. I don't trust anybody. I don't trust Cat. I don't trust Rudy Gobert. I don't trust Chris Finch. The roster's good. Don't trust Minnesota whatsoever. They feel like a second round exit team to me. If you look at the uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, come on, man. Wait, 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 what are we doing? Kawhi can't stay healthy in the playoffs. Harden is a disaster in the playoffs. And while Westbrook, and to his credit, Westbrook kind of did what Clay did for the betterment of the team. I'm going to come off the bench. And Westbrook's been really good this year. I've been a Russ critic. Russ has been really good this year off the bench. But Russ, his playoff history ain't great. And then you have the Paul George component. Can he stay healthy? So I don't buy the Clippers at all as a serious playoff threat. Phoenix, if they're healthy, maybe. That's the concern, though. Beal's dealt with injuries. KD's dealt with injuries. I don't particularly like their bench. I think they downgraded at head coach. And I, I, listen, I, I think Frank Vogel's be way better than he gets credit for, but he's not as good of a coach as Monty Williams. He's just not. Monty Williams is a culture changer. He just inherited a, a crap situation in Detroit, okay? That's what he did. Uh, New Orleans, not don't trust them at all. Zion's health. Dallas, Luke is a monster in the playoffs. But if you notice, everybody gets worse around Luka. It's a weird, like you've seen Grant Williams, shout out Grant Williams, go Vols. You see what Grant Williams, I know it's in Charlotte, but Grant Williams playing great basketball. He was good in Boston. Jalen Brunson was with Luka. He's been way better, way better with the Knicks. 
Luca's amazing top 10 guy, but does he elevate dudes along with him? So there's a concern with the Mavericks. Uh, the Lakers, I think, are contenders. I think if, if LeBron and AD are healthy, they get the contributions from the others. I think the Lakers are a serious threat. Don't care if they're the nine seed. Eight seed Heat got to the finals last year. Seven seed Lakers got to the conference finals a year ago. You're telling me Golden State with a healthy Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and the requisite pieces, most of them young, can't beat some of these teams? If you say Golden State can't, be, can't beat Denver, I won't fight you on that. I think Denver's the team to beat out West. But worst case scenario, here to tell you right now, worst case scenario, Golden State's going to be in the Western Conference Finals, assuming health. Because when you have the guy with the playoff resume of Wardell, Stephen Curry II, we have the playoff resume of Draymond Green, still playing as good as he's ever played. Steph is still otherworldly. When you have Clay come out the bench now where it's like, hang on a second, this works. He's not going to average 35 at night off the bench, obviously, but looked comfortable. Got it, took, it took shots that he's comfortable with. Wasn't forcing stuff. Was able to create separation off of screens, even at times off the dribble, off of cuts, off of backdoor cuts, off screens, off ball screens. You're telling me that team can't, can't compete for a championship, can't compete for a Western Conference Finals appearance? Here to tell you right now, pencil in, Golden State, if healthy, in the Western Conference Finals. Book it. Minimum. Now, Denver, if they run to Denver, it could be a little, little dicey. I get that. But everybody else, they can beat the Lakers. They can, beat the, they can absolutely beat the Timberwolves, Oklahoma City. I don't trust the Clippers at all. They can beat Phoenix. Keep in mind, eight-seed Heat got to the finals last year. Seven-seed Lakers got to the Western Conference finals last year. Seeding in today's NBA with as, as you know irrelevant as the regular season has become to a certain degree, seeding doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. So when you factor those components into the, into the equation, this is a... This is a team in Golden State that I think can go a very long ways in the playoffs. They've been way better defensively. They're deep. They've got the second-best player in the world. That, By the way, they got a top-five coach in the NBA, maybe top-three coach if we're being honest, along with Spolstra and, I don't know, Spolstra, I think, is one. Kerr's probably two. Pop is not three. Yeah, Pop's not three anymore, guys. We're, we're not he's, – he's not there. Um, you could say Tibbs, maybe. I, I wouldn't put Tibbs top uh, top three. Ty Lue, I'd probably put at number three. Those are the top three guys, in, in my estimation, in, in the league right now. But Golden State, minimum Western Conference Finals. You can book it. What I saw from Clay Thompson last night, it was a, uh, it was a sight for sore eyes for many, many around the National Basketball Association. It's like, oh, boy. Oh, crap, I thought that dynasty was over. Oh, no, here they come. Here they come. They're going to they're gonna do it again. We got to, listen, you ask the Timberwolves who are the one seed. You ain't they'd rather play the Pelicans who got a better record than Golden State or the Kings or Golden State or the Lakers. You could throw the Lakers in that, in that equation. Again, I maintain now what I said coming into the season. I feel like Denver was the favorite and Golden State and LA, the Lakers, that is, neck and neck, uh, right there. If you want to put the Lakers, Warriors, one over the other, be my guess. I, but they're neck and neck, and Denver's the favorite, and everybody else, it's kind of who's going to get into the second round of the playoffs against one of those three. Again, we got to see how the bracket plays itself out, where these teams are at. But anybody who's riding off the Golden State Warriors, and I came close at times this regular season. I was the Draymond suspension. I'm like, I don't know, but... It's a dynasty. These are smart guys. It's a great coach. It's an all-time great player leading the group. <sighs> Take a deep breath. They're going to right the ship. And they've won eight of their last 10. Top 10 in defense. Top 10 in offense. 
and they're rolling. I'm just saying. That, that Western Conference is a lot of unproven teams. And to a certain degree, even unproven players. Like, I love Shea. I've never seen Shea in a playoff game outside of his rookie year when he was with the Clippers. The eight seed, the Clippers back in the day against the Warriors. How's that? Never seen Shea in the playoffs. Actually, I'm sorry. No, he's with he, uh, Oklahoma City. But again, he was still a young player. as his first year in OKC. Chris Paul was there. But that was one year. He was very young. I've never seen this Shea in the playoffs. I've never seen Anthony Edwards as a playoff favorite in the postseason. I've seen Steph as a playoff favorite underdog. Doesn't matter. Same, same guy. Same with LeBron. Same with Jokic. Same with Kevin Durant, by the way. I just don't know if I trust the pieces around Kevin Durant. So, there you go. If you're Golden State, you're feeling pretty good. That game last night, though, was uh, a little dicey. A little too dicey. Because I, I thought that thing was going to get ugly for a minute. Golden State was up 18 in the fourth quarter. And... That close, <laughs> that close to blowing it. But second night of a back-to-back, red eye from the night before in San Francisco, fly to Utah. So there you go. Got a comment here. Patrick Brown. Doc Rivers, not much to be desired. I'm not shocked to say the least. As Barry always says, the scariest movie in sports is Doc Rivers in a game seven. Well, I talked about that hiring, didn't like it. And I said that the, that, <laughs> What was the what was the phrase like? Doc Rivers wins like a third of the series that he leads. I'm sorry, Doc Rivers wins about a third. You could check the stats on this. Leads like a third of the series that he wins three games in. So basically, when Doc is one win away from winning a playoff series, he's about a 33 percent you know chance to to win. Do I have this? It might be deep in my notes. Now that you mention it, Patrick, because again, Milwaukee lost to awful Memphis. So, and by the way, is it still parade in that city? Uh, what do I got here? What's the stat? Okay, yeah. Doc Rivers, okay, and I did the stat a month ago when this happened. Okay, you're, you're like this, Patrick, if you're still here, and to the rest of the audience. Doc Rivers is 16-33 and 33 after getting his third win of a best-of-seven series, which is 32.7%, so about 33%. 16-33 after getting his third win of the series. That ain't great. Not, not good stuff. Let's transition to college basketball, in particular women's college basketball, which is absolutely these days a significantly better product than the men's game. They're better shooters, they're floor, better floor spacers, better shot takers, creators, and makers than the men, and it's a better overall product. By the way, there's more scoring, and that's always good. And the face of women's college basketball, that's, screw that, you know, the face of college basketball. Arguably the face... You could argue Simone Biles. I'd probably put Simone number one. But you could argue the face of women's sports right now is Caitlin Clark, who last night became the all-time scoring leader in the history of women's college basketball. And here's the record breaker. Recovered by Gabby Marshall. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? basketball it's no surprise of course of course she broke it from (laughs) from the parking lot shooting for the parking lot that's become her brand that's become what who she is and what she's about and by the way last night uh she was absolutely extraordinary uh against the michigan wolverines click caitlin clark in that record-breaking game the pressure was not too much for because it never is uh caitlin dropped 49 13 and 5 on 16 of 31 from the field 9 for 18 from three-point range she is simply a box office and she is sensational in every sense of the word. And she is one of the five most entertaining basketball players on planet earth right now. 
it's I don't think it's even debatable. I think there's five players. If you if you had to give me five players, men's or women's, take both, take college basketball, take overseas, take NBA, WNBA, take all of them. Give me five of the most entertaining players in the league. I've got five. LeBron, Steph, KD, Wemby, Caitlin Clark. Because Wemby, you saw he had the triple-double, a 10-block tonight. Wemby is just, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy what Wemby can do with the basketball. Like, you, you, the Spurs are awful. They're a bad basketball team. But you got to tune in to, to, to League Pass or NBA TV, TNT, whatever network they're on, and watch to see what is this 20-year-old French guy who can do everything, what's he going to do tonight? He is box office. Kevin Durant is a seven-footer who moves like a guard and can get any shot that he wants. And is still an elite defensive player. Unbelievable. Most gifted, not the greatest score I've ever seen, or even the best, but the most gifted I've ever seen is Kevin Wayne Durant. LeBron James. Jack of all trades, and that's disrespectful to be completely honest to LeBron. All-time leading scorer. Can get his teammates involved. Active on the glass, still a very good defensive player in spurts in year 21. Like LeBron is still, LeBron still moves the needle. You got to tune in the Lakers games. What's he going to do tonight? Steph Curry, pretty self-explanatory. The closest uh, um, comparison to Caitlin Clark that we have in the NBA and in the men's game in general. There's a lot of stuff, the handle, the shooting ability from way outside and Caitlin Clark. She has brought an audience into women's college basketball. She has done something that I didn't think was possible. We all view the National Football League as the pinnacle, nobody's touching the NFL in ratings, and that's true. I've always kind of viewed the NBA second. I'm like, the NBA is never going to touch the NFL, but I don't feel like any other league is necessarily, out March Madness aside, going to touch the NBA. Hockey sure isn't. Baseball sure isn't. College football, sure, but I sort of, I look at the college football in some ways as like minor league NFL. It kind of feels that way, but Caitlin Clark's game, Iowa, um, Iowa Hawkeyes, a couple weeks ago, ratings-wise, on a Sunday, beat the Heat-Celtics game ratings. Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, I don't know if Jimmy played in that game, Bama DeBio, Heat culture, Boston, Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, Drew Holiday, great history. Iowa beat that game in terms of ratings. Because we got to tune in to see, as great as, as Boston and, and Miami are, we got to see Caitlin Clark. What's she going to do tonight? Caitlin, by the way, this year, uh, no surprise whatsoever, uh, her stats are, are absolutely off the charts. She's averaging 32 a game with about seven rebounds, eight and a half assists. She's shooting 47% and a half, uh, 47.5% uh, from the field and uh, almost just a, a 0.1% away, shooting 39.9% from three. And keep in mind, she's doing this while shooting at moon balls. And this was Caitlin Clark, by the way, after the game. Uh, talking about her record breaker. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can really script it any better. And uh, I thought we played really well tonight and that our defense could have been a little better. But um, just to do it in this fashion, I'm very grateful. I'm very thankful to be surrounded by so many people that have kind of been my foundation and everything that I've done since I was a young little girl. And um, I started crying watching that video just because, like, I'm, I'm just filled with so much gratitude and love and um, the way the fa- these fans support women's basketball is so much special. Is so special, and um, yeah, I mean, you all knew I was going to shoot a logo three for the record. Come on now. <laughs> Love the confidence. That's what she plays with the bravado. She plays with a with a with a flair, and she plays within the construct of basketball that we've become used to within the last decade, really since Steph changed the game. 
she has taken advantage of that with her hard work, with her God-given ability, and she's absolutely fantastic. And I think that she is going to be for women's basketball what, I mean, you could say Serena was for women's tennis, what Simone Biles has been for gymnastics. She is going to bring a different audience in uh, to, oh, by the way, what the United States women's team has been for, for, for women's soccer. I think when she comes the NBA next, WNBA next year, and I believe the Indiana Fever had the first pick in the draft, so it appears she's going to stay kind of middle of the country, uh, Big Ten sort of area. She's going to go there. She's going to team up with Leah Boston, who plays, she, who played, by the way, with South Carolina, had a really good rookie season. She's going to team up with her, and she is going to be the face of the NBA almost instantly. I think it was at Cheryl. I hope I'm not misquoting. I think it was Cheryl Swoops who I heard talking to podcasts like, hey, it's going to be an adjustment. Like, let's not. I get that. But this style of, of basketball translates to any any era. It translates to any any league. She's 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 brought in a new audience to women's college basketball that probably wasn't there originally. And I don't know if I was going to win it all. LSU is still good. South Carolina is still awesome. And there's a lot of other great basketball teams out there this year. Women's basketball games this year. March Madness is going to be insane. And I'm pretty sure Caitlin Clark is going to absolutely dominate it. Because that's who she is. And she is absolutely one of the five most entertaining basketball players. Men's, women's, college, pro, overseas in the world right now. She's a, so, she's a showstopper. You got to see her live, in person. Yeah, I mean, road, these road arenas are sold out. We don't see that unless it's like the old Tennessee Go Vols. Rest in peace, past summit. Shout out to her. God rest her soul. Unless it was those old Tennessee teams or those old UConn teams. Those were teams, though. Those were superstar coaches. Those were players that went on to the WNBA and having great success. This is one player. Iowa's not viewed as a women's college basketball powerhouse the way that Tennessee was, the way UConn kind of still is, the way Stanford's been, South Carolina's been. LSU is kind of becoming. She's done that. So shout out to her. Well-deserved. One of the five most entertaining basketball players on planet Earth right now. And in short order, will be the face of the WNBA. And I think, give it a couple of years, the best player in the WNBA. couple of years. Not, she's not going to be the best player rookie year. You still got, obviously, uh, Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, Sabrina Unescu. I mean, we we'll talk about it a little later. She's competing with Steph Curry. There's some great players in the WNBA. She is unbelievable. Shout out to Caitlin Clark. Another outstanding accomplishment and many more to come. By the way, she was wearing Kobe's when she broke the record. I believe she wears Kobe's every game, but it's fitting. Very fitting. And I, I'm just telling you, it's... Listen, I watch March Madness like everybody else does. I love March Madness. But, you know, in, in terms of the men's bracket, but I'm sorry, the game in women's is... In, in the women's arena in college is significantly more entertaining. Shot making, shot creation. It's more floor spacing. It's, it's not even just Caitlin, just in general. It's 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 a better game. You have a lot of stars coming into the WNBA next year. Caitlin's gonna kind of gonna lead the group. You got Angel Reese. You got, um, gosh, what's her name? Paige Beckers at UConn, who's an excellent player. Very fun. WNBA's got a lot to be excited about. They're a growing league, and they're gonna get even better next year, starting with Caitlin Clark. Okay, so I do this segment every year after the playoffs are over. After the Super Bowl, I talk about at least coming in to the postseason. Let me back up a little. 
There's 14 playoff teams. There's been 14 playoff teams since the 2020 season when they added a playoff spot to both conferences. And I think, okay, there's not a perfect team. There's no, there's a lot of teams that have a shot to win the Super Bowl. Some of these, like six, seven seeds, like they're not going to win it, but we got to talk about it anyway. Like, and I view it, maybe I'm viewed as, as kind of a, a negative person for this. I hope not. But what's the biggest reason all of these teams won't win the Super Bowl? That's essentially how I look at it. And so, without further ado, let's review. These are the 14. Now, Kansas City, I'll go and show Kansas City before I even get the background music on. I'll show Kansas City. My weakness for Kansas City was they turn the ball over and they don't take the ball away. So, the Chiefs had... I think three turnovers all all playoffs long. Two of them came in the Super Bowl. One was a, a goal on fumble by, by Miko Hardman against the Bills. Uh, they had two turnovers in the Super Bowl, but again, they didn't turn the ball over in, in the playoffs. Uh, th they didn't have an exceeding amount of takeaways in the playoffs. So, Kansas, again, we could just put Kansas City beside because they won the Super Bowl. So, you know, who cares why they wouldn't have? They did. And so, here we go. So, get the background music going on right now. The other 13 teams. So, let's review playoff strengths and weaknesses. What I have. Well, we're going to start in the AFC. We're going to start in the AFC. We're going to start, get this over with, with my Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, why were the Steelers not going to win the Super Bowl? Their only way for to win is for you to screw up. Their only way to win is for you to screw up. So... I would call that correct. I'm going to kind of keep telling this, okay, how right on this? I mean, I can you get, say no points, a half point, one point. I'm going to give myself the full point here because I, for, part of the reason I picked my Steelers to upset Buffalo 7 versus 2, 7C versus 2C, was because Buffalo, Josh Allen, as talented as he is, as awesome as he is from a physical perspective, is capable and is due and is prone to these WTF plays. I say about Josh Allen, he's going to make the are you insane play? Like, oh my gosh, watch what he just did. And the, are you insane? What are you doing? And I thought my Steelers, even that TJ Watt, might make a play or two, a fumble, an interception, and that's just not what happened. A lot of it, too, was limitations of the quarterback position. You can't expect to go very far in the playoffs when the three quarterbacks you use all season long is uh, Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph, and even worse, Mitch Trubisky, who is mercifully not a Pittsburgh Steeler anymore. But, and Rudolph is probably going to leave in free agency. And so there's limitations to the quarterback position, but I feel like the talent is there, especially on the defensive side of the ball, even offensively. Pickens, Najee Harris, Warren, the whole bit. Uh, but I, I just didn't... You, they kind of have to mess up for Pittsburgh to win. The other side has to, and that's how the Steelers won a lot of games this year. Buffalo didn't mess up. Didn't turn the ball over one time. Didn't really even put the ball in harm's way. So I would give myself the full point there for the Steelers. So for Miami, what was my biggest weakness for Miami coming in? Too beat up, and quarterback is bad in big games. I would absolutely give myself the full point there. So I'm two point two for two thus far. So listen, Tua was. I, I can think two thoughts at the same time about Tua. I think Tua is a top fifteen quarterback. He's capable. This is the first season. Props to Tua. I'm thrilled for him that this was the case. That he was healthy from start to finish, and that has been the concern. There's the concussion stuff. There's he had a hip surgery back at Alabama. Like, can he stay healthy? Is he physically durable? And the answer this year, thankfully, and it's probably going to make him a lot of money, is yes. So that's great for Tua. 
That said, he's horrible in big games. He has a losing record in temperatures, in games of temperatures below 70 degrees. In this game against Kansas City, the fourth coldest game in NFL history. Tua Tungabailoa, 199 yards passing, had a touchdown, a pick, and a uh, pass rating of 63.9 below average, and a QBR 0 to 100 of 15. He was bad. And the two is, listen, in his defense, Kansas City's defense did this to a lot of quarterbacks. They did it to Lamar in stretches. They did it to Josh Allen. They do it to Brock Purdy in the playoffs. So that matters. But even the week before against Buffalo, who had a kind of a beat-up defense, he didn't play very well at all. So in big games, in playoff light games, two attempts really struggle. So I give myself a full point for the Miami Dolphins. For the Cleveland Browns, what was their biggest weakness? January Joe is a turnover machine. I, I should almost give myself two points. I won't do that. I won't, I'm not going to cheat the rules, but I'm going to give myself a full point for Cleveland because everybody's like, ah, January Joe Flacco. And that's a real thing, by the way. Joe Flacco has an excellent playoff uh, history and resume. He's got a Super Bowl MVP. He's been in multiple AFC championship games. Like, this guy's been really good in the playoffs in the past. But that was the previous. That was the Baltimore Joe Flacco. The Cleveland Joe Flacco, age 39, uh, that's, that's a diff- bit of a different story. He led the league in picks when he signed with the Cleveland Browns. The time that he signed with the Browns to the end of the regular season, he led the league in interceptions and had not one, but two pick sixes against the Houston Texans. So absolutely brutal breaks. Uh, Back-to-back drives, by the way. Houston was up 24-14. Punted the ball back to Cleveland midway through the third quarter. Cleveland had a shot. They're down 10. They got a shot. And Flacco throws back-to-back pick sixes, and that was all she wrote for the Cleveland Browns. So definitely, definitely the full point there for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, the Joe Flacco thing was a cool story. It was never bound to last. For Houston, what was their biggest weakness? Special talent, just too young. I will give myself the full point here. I am red hot. I, I see, I haven't even checked these in advance, uh, but uh, just just out of curiosity. But I, I've, I've definitely given myself the full point here because listen, CJ Stroud is going to be here for some time. D'Amico Ryans had a great rookie season coaching. This roster's good. The young talent at wide receiver, Tank Dell before he went down, Nico Collins. They got some, a nice running game, Pierce. Offensive line that could use some improvement in the offseason and a young defense that had the defensive rookie of the year in Will Anderson. And he also had, uh, had Derek Stingley Jr. You have some really nice playmakers on both sides of the ball. They're just too young. They're just too young. And, you know, they, they went to Baltimore. Ravens, two weeks of rest. They compete in that first half. I think it was a tie game in the first half against the Ravens. And the better team blitzed them in the second half. Literally and figuratively. Lamar Jackson went crazy in the second half of that game. The great Ravens defense shut down Stroud and the Texans offense. Better team won that game. And so there's no shame for the Houston Texans. They got the absolute most out of the season that they possibly could have. And they got a very bright future ahead. So, But for Houston, again, special talent, just too young. I think that's a more than fair assessment coming into the playoffs um, and certainly exiting the playoffs. Kansas City was the three seed, but they won the Super Bowl. So obviously, we're not going to talk about them. So up to the two seed Buffalo Bills, their biggest weakness. They routinely have bad, have stretches of awful offensive football. Um, I would give myself the full point there because of their performance, uh, in the, particularly in the fourth quarter of this game against Kansas City because on their last three drives, they went turnover on downs, three and out, missed field goal to end the game. So when you needed Josh Allen, when you needed these playmakers, when you needed this defense at times, well, the defense actually was, was not bad in the fourth quarter. They forced that fumble um, and, and midway through. But in general, the Bills' offense... They're rolling. Josh Allen's playing really well against this great Kansas City defense. And you have a weird fake punt in your own territory. You get bailed out because Nicole Hardman fumbles at the goal line. Then you uh, then you go three and out. Then you get the ball back, drive it down the field, and your unreliable kicker misses wide to the right. 
And so for Buffalo, that was kind of, they, they have these stretches where it's like they can't generate anything. And so I give myself a full point for the Buffalo Bills. For the Ravens, finally, and then we'll transition to the, to the NFC. The one-seed Ravens, uh, do we have it? Fourth quarter concerns are a real thing. I'll give myself a half point here because the fourth quarter uh, was not good for Baltimore against the Kansas City Chiefs. If you look at the fourth quarter for the Ravens, they really, really struggled. Couldn't generate much really all afternoon in the AFC title game. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, okay, they fumbled. Zay Flowers fumbled to to start the fourth quarter. Lamar threw a horrible interception to uh, in triple coverage in the red zone. And then they had a field goal at the end, which made it 17-10. And then Kansas City bled the rest of the clock out. So, listen, for Baltimore, that was kind of my concern for them. Is they blew a, they've blown a lot of fourth quarter, double-digit leads. That wasn't their problem against the Chiefs. Really, the biggest factor in the Ravens' loss against Kansas City was they completely abandoned the run game. Really, the lifeblood of their offense, six carries in total, two running backs in that game against Kansas City. They totally abandoned the run in a game that was nip and tuck. Kansas City wasn't doing much of, all, of anything at all offensively, in part because of how great the Ravens' defense is. Uh, so I'll say a half point. The fourth quarter concerns did bite them, uh, but it wasn't the reason that they lost the game. Nobody's going to point to the Ravens and be like, oh, they gagged in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter's bad. It just wasn't the reason. So half point for the Ravens. So to the NFC... Starting with the Packers, my biggest weakness for Green Bay was defense is trash. I'm definitely not going to give myself the full point. I'll say I'll say no points here. This is my first, I guess you could call it a miss. Because Green Bay's defense have been exceptionally awful in uh, you know, in the regular season. Yes, they gave up 32 to Dallas, but that was Dallas put together a couple of drives, garbage time drives. Game was had well been decided by that point. So I won't even count that against Free Bay. And against San Francisco. Look, San Francisco dropped 34 on the Detroit Lions. Against Kansas City, scored 22, but moved the ball pretty effectively against Kansas City. Scored 24 on a game-winning drive to beat the Packers. Yes, to Green Bay's defense, were they not able to make a play late? Sure. But a lot of that, to Brock Purdy's credit, he had some nice throws on that drive. Kyle Shanahan was really good in terms of his play calling on that last drive of the game. So, I'm not going to hold that against the Packers' defense. If, if Green Bay fans were told before the game, San Francisco is going to score 24, I think you feel, you, you feel, okay, that sounds realistic. It's not great, but it's not awful. We didn't give up 40. And so I, I, I can't necessarily blame the Packers defense for their playoff loss. A lot of it was youth. A lot of it was bad special teams, Andrews Carlson. And a lot of it, let's be real, Jordan Love didn't play very well in the second half of that game. A couple interceptions. So I, I won't give myself the point for the Packers. For the Los Angeles Rams, my weakness for them was special teams is a liability. Special teams liability, that was my weakness for the Rams. I'm not going to give myself any points here. Because if you look at the Rams in their playoff loss, uh, to the Detroit Lions. Brett Maher went three for three in his kicks. Okay, like the, the concern for the Rams, the issue for the Rams, as well as Stafford played, and he was phenomenal in this game against his old team. In the first game against his old team in Detroit, they couldn't score in the red zone. Three trips down the red zone, it settled for field goals on all three. And so that was really kind of what bit the Detroit, I'm uh, sorry, the Los Angeles Rams in the behind. So can't really blame the special teams, even though it did struggle throughout the duration of the year. So no points for the Rams. For the Philadelphia Eagles, my biggest weakness for them coming in was, if I can see this, if we can pull up the graphic, there we go. Defense is atrocious and head coach is a poor leader. Absolutely the full point here on my Philadelphia point. And it was, I think, the most predictable coming in. So I'm not going to do this victory lap. It was very predictable. Philadelphia's defense have been bottom in the NFL or at or near the bottom in terms of points per game, yards, 
red zone the whole bit. They were not a good defense all season long. And particularly Baker Mayfield and the, and the Buccaneers offense ran rough shot on them, scored 32 points. If not for some bad drops by Tampa Bay in that first half, they could have put up 40 plus on them, 45 maybe. And Philadelphia, again, to the he- point of the head coach being a poor leader, definitely going to give myself the credit there too. Because how lackadaisical did Philadelphia come in that game where they just looked like they were going to half speed? They weren't playing inspired. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay's playing like it was the playoffs. They had a sense of urgency. Philadelphia was very kind of, you know, malaise. Didn't seem to have much inspiration whatsoever. And a lot of that is attributed to the head coach. Motivation means a lot when you're being a head coach. Ask Detroit Lions fans how they feel about Dan Campbell in that regard. So for Philly, defense is atrocious and head coach is a poor leader. Absolutely going to give myself the full point credit there. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, my biggest weakness for them was that they can't win shootouts. So I'll give myself, I'll give myself the full point because they did lose a game to the Detroit Lions in which Detroit scored 31. Now, in Tampa Bay's defense, that's about what Detroit is almost. If you look at their number, uh, their numbers the last two seasons, 2022 and 23, that's what they do. They score 30-plus points at home. It's what they do. And so I can't necessarily hold that against Tampa too much because that's 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 kind of what Detroit does. But I'll give myself I'll give myself the full point because as good as Baker was, he played pretty well in this game. Detroit's defense struggled, but Baker, by and large, played well in this game, aside from that second interception to end it. But he had three touchdown passes, had a QBR over 50 and a pass ring in the 90s. So he was he was solid. Uh, just Tampa Bay just wasn't able to, to, to generate the offense when they absolutely had to in key stretches of the game, particularly in the first half. And Detroit did what Detroit does to a lot of teams, and that scored 30 points on them in on turf, indoors, in Detroit. So for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, can't win shootouts. That had the opportunity to be a shootout, and they weren't really able to to get back in that game through, uh, through large stretches. So I will give myself a full point there. For the Detroit Lions, what was my biggest weakness for them? The, my beloved Lions all season long that I believed in. Can't win unless it's a shootout. So I'm not going to give myself any points there because the fact of the matter is that the game they lost to San Francisco is 34-31. And by the way, it was a game in which their defense was playing ex- exceptionally. They're up 27 to, I'm sorry, 24 to 10. I think it was 24 to 10. Yes, in the 24-7 rather in the first half of that game. So offense was rolling. That's usually what they do, it, it, which was even more impressive because they did it outdoors on grass against the great Niners roster. But this Detroit Lions defense, as, as bad as it was all season long, played very well against the Niners in the first half. Only held them to seven, got a turnover off of off of Brock Purdy, and then the second half, Purdy was excellent. Running game was 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 rolling. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy around the fourth downs that I absolutely defend Dan Campbell on, particularly the first one at least. And so, I think in general for Detroit, that's that was their that was their issue all season long. They can score on anybody. Anybody could score on them. And so, can't win shootouts. I'll I'll, I'll give myself uh, I, I won't give myself a full point there because it was a shootout and they lost. And by the way, it was a game in which they were defensively dominating and just weren't able to get it done. To the Dallas Cowboys, my biggest weakness for them, offense has one true perimeter threat. I will give myself a half point here because of how they lost. If they'd lost to Green Bay, a game that was 28 to 20, or 24 to 20, where, listen, 24, you can win games when you give up 24 points a game, absolutely. But I'll give myself the half point because CeeDee Lamb is the only true perimeter threat for Dak Prescott. Jake Ferguson's fine. I like him. I don't love him. Michael Gallup's shot. Jalen Tolbert, come on. 
you know, Brandon Cooks, there's a reason he's been bouncing around the league for a decade. And Brandon Cooks is a good guy, by the way, but there is a reason he's bounced around the league for a decade. Cowboys have no running game. Play calling is, is yikes. Um, da- it was Dak and CeeDee Lamb or bust, and in this game, it was bust. CeeDee Lamb could separate. When he did, Dak couldn't hit him. It was just a disconnect between those two, number four and number 88, all game long. And for Dallas defensively, that was the number one reason they lost. They gave up 48 points for crying out loud. Okay, Green Bay, I think, punted one time in that game, and that was late in the fourth quarter when the game had already been decided. So a half point because Dallas wasn't able to get much going because nobody other than CeeDee Lamb could separate. And even CeeDee Lamb at times couldn't separate. So a half point, but the majority of the blame goes to the defense in this one. So half point on the Dallas thing. And then finally for the San Francisco 49ers, my biggest weakness for them, don't play well from behind. I'm not going to give myself any points here because two of their playoff wins were coming from behind against both the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions. So no points here. And get in the Super Bowl, they play from ahead the entire game basically until overtime. And so I, I'm not going to I'm not going to give myself a point there. San Francisco kind of proved me wrong in a lot of aspects. I didn't know, think they could come from behind much. So. No points on San Francisco. So let's look back, and then I'll do NBA All-Star predictions before we get out of here. Let's go back and and look at this. So Pittsburgh, their only way to, to win is for you to screw up. I'm going to give myself the full point there. So there's one. Uh, Miami, two beat up, and quarterback is, big in big, is bad in big games. That's two points. Cleveland Browns, January Joe is a turnover machine. So I've got three points. I was right on that. Houston Texans, special talent, just too young. I'll give myself the full point there. Buffalo, they routinely have stretches of awful offensive football. Uh, that's five points. I'm going to give some, myself a full point there. Baltimore, fourth quarter concerns are a real thing. Half point there because that wasn't the primary reason that they lost. So what's that, four and a half? Five and a half. Yeah, five and a half points. And so to the NFC, defense is trash. Camp, that was my, uh, yeah, Green Bay defense is trash. Their defense played pretty well. The 32 points to Dallas. Dallas got two garbage time drives, so who cares? Defense played pretty well for Green Bay, so no points there. Special teams is a liability is what I have for the Rams. Special teams was good. That's not the reason they lost to the Lions. They lost because they couldn't score in the red zone. So that is, so staying at five and a half. Uh, Philadelphia, defense is atrocious, and head coach is a poor leader. To absolutely full point there, so that's six and a half. Tampa Bay can't win shootouts. I'll give myself full credit there, seven and a half. Detroit can't win unless it's a shootout. No points there. It, it, listen, they were in a shootout with San Francisco and lost in a game that they kind of blew. So uh, going to stay right there at seven and a half. Dallas offense is one true perimeter threat. I'll give myself a half point there because uh, for Dallas the, the defense was was the primary source of their of their defeat. And for San Francisco, don't play well from behind. Uh, zero points there because they won two games playing from behind. So that's eight points of a possible thirteen. That's not bad. I've had higher. I think I I think I went nine for thirteen last year. So eight for thirteen, not bad. Uh, so there you go. So the only ones I was like a hundred percent wrong on, or didn't get the full credit on, were the. I think it was all in the NFC. It was Packers, Rams, Detroit, San Francisco. So four games, four teams. I got zero points on. So there you go. Okay, that was fun. It's, just, it, it's sad, man. It's the bitter. That's why I say Super Bowl is bittersweet. Playoffs are over. It's tough. So there you go. All right. Before we get out of here, it is NBA All-Star Weekend, and there's a number of major events. First of all, to me, the absolutely the most intriguing event of, 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 of this weekend is the shootout, three-point shooting contest between the great Sabrina Unescu and the shooter himself, Steph Curry. Sabrina Nescu plays for the New York Liberty of the WNBA. Steph Curry plays for the Golden State Warriors of the NBA. 
I think it is now. Now, Sabrina obviously broke the all-time three-point contest record last year in the WNBA three-point shooting contest. Steph, has, he holds basically every three-point record known to man. He's the greatest shooter ever. There's no debate about that. And that's why I'm going with Steph. I think Sabrina is going to make it close. If Sabrina wins, I won't be in the slightest bit shocked. We saw how hot she got last summer in the three-point contest. But listen, when it comes to shooting competitions, I'm not betting against the greatest that ever did it. Stephen A. Smith said it best. The greatest shooter God ever created. Could not agree more. Summer old Steph. But I do think Sabrina makes it interesting. I don't know who's going first. I don't know if it's just going to be a traditional three-point contest where you get five, five racks, uh, both corners, both wings, and then straight on. And then, by the way, they've added this Mountain Dew ball uh, f- from the left deep on the left ring- wing and-, and deep on the right wing. That'll give you a, f- a full three points, but it's for much deeper. And Steph and Sabrina will excel at that. I don't know if it's going to be a traditional back and forth, if it's going to be best two out of three. I don't know what it's going to be, but nonetheless, it'll be entertaining. It'll be exciting. But you know me. I love Sabrina. I, be- I talked about Sabrina four years ago when she was at Oregon, and I've talked about her a lot since. But uh, come on now. If it's a shooting competition, I'm rolling with the best that ever did it. The greatest that ever did it, Mr. Curry. As far as the three-point contest, there's a lot of great um, great contestants. I know Damian Lillard is going to participate. Carl Anthony Towns, who has won the, the contest uh, in the past. Frankly, I do kind of wish Steph Curry was competing in this, but this is uh, this is not bad. He is competing with Sabrina Unescu. So the, the contestants are Malik Beasley, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, Damian Lillard, Laurie Markkinen, Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Trey Young. And what I love is you got Biggs, you got Markkinen, you got Cat, who's won it before. It's tough. I picked, by the way, for the record, I correctly predicted the winner of the dunk contest, three-point contest, and who had hit the game-winning shot in the All-Star game last year. I went three for three. I was very proud about that, so I'm trying to do this again in addition with the Steph and Sabrina thing. Uh Skills competition, nobody cares. I'm not predicting a winner of that. Who cares? Nobody, they should get rid of that. I'm going to go with Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell wins the three-point contest. Uh, I think he could face Malik Beasley and Damian Lillard in the final. But Cleveland, I know you hate me. I don't blame you. (laughs) But I'm going to go with your guy. Donovan Mitchell wins the three-point contest. That's what I've got. As for the dunk contest, which was kind of dying around the NBA uh, up until last year when a kid who I remember playing in high school by the name of Mac McClung was participating. And he won last year, put on a show, and he is back this year. He's a G-leaguer, by the way. Uh, plays for the Magic Orlando Magic G League team. So Matt McClung's going to participate. He's going to be joined by Jacob Toppin, who's Obi Toppin's little brother, plays for the Knicks, Jalen Brown, and Jaime, Jaime Jaquez from the Miami Heat. Jaime Jaquez was a bucket at UCLA. They they really use him this year. So these are all great contestants. I, I, I don't know about Jaquez being in this. I, I don't necessarily view him as this, a guy that I would view winning the dunk contest. If John Morant was healthy, you know, Knock on wood, prayers for a speedy recovery for him. I think Ja would be great in this. I think Shaden Sharp of the Blazers would excel in this. I don't know much about Jacob Toppin. Jalen Brown, we know he can he can drop the hammer. I think Mac McClung goes back to back. I'm gonna go Mac McClung wins the three point. I'm sorry, the, the dunk contest. Mac McClung wins the dunk contest. He goes back to back. G Leaguer. It became viral in high school for what he was able to do. 
And so I'll go Matt McClung goes back-to-back. He will beat Jalen Brown in the final. And so Donovan Mitchell wins the three-point contest. Steph wins his three-point shootout with Sabrina Unescu. Matt McClung wins the dunk contest. As for the All-Star game, it's gone back to the traditional format, East versus West. And so you're going to have, obviously for the West, you have LeBron, you have KD, you're going to have uh, SGA and Luka. A lot of great players for both squads. And obviously, and Steph Curry, of course. Steph isn't starting, but obviously Steph is going to be a part of it. Uh, oh, I see my man John Rivera. He says Steph is going to lose. Listen, he may. Uh, Sabrina is a, is, a, is a shooting specialist. So, it can do a lot of other things. She was a triple-double machine at Oregon. So, listen, if he does lose, I won't be shocked. But I listen, if we're talking, that would be like... In a tech-building competition 20 years ago, not betting against Bill Gates. Or not, sorry, not betting against Steve Jobs. Bill Gates is, is, is excellent, but Steve Jobs was a visionary if there ever was one, especially when it, as it pertains to the iPhone and, and devices of, of that magnitude and measure. Um, yeah, so if it's a shooting contest, I'm going to roll with the best that ever did it. With respect to Sabrina, but I think she's got a shot. For the game, though, East, West... I'm going to go West. Western Conference wins. And we're going to go uh, a double dip for this individual on this weekend. Steph Curry hits the walk-off shot because we know the new rules in, in overtime, not overtime, in the fourth quarter of the NBA All-Star game where uh, in the fourth quarter, let's say the score is 100. Western Conference is up 150 to 145 on the East. Let's just do that. The first one to get to let me I'm I'm gonna do a poor job of explaining this. Okay, let's just say both teams are tied. Let's just say both teams are tied. Or not both teams are tied. West is up by a point on the east. They added 24 points. The NBA did this to honor Kobe Bryant in 2020. What they do is they add 24 to whatever the leader of the game has. So let's say 150 points. So 150 plus 24 is 174. Whoever hits that point threshold wins the game, which I love. It adds level of intensity. There's no clock. TNT has no commercial breaks. Like, it's great. It's like straight up pickup basketball. I think it's a great rule for the All-Star game. And so I say Steph Curry hits the walk-off shot. And who wins MVP? Who wins MVP of the All-Star game? So if the West wins, Jokic isn't really an All-Star game type of player, even though I think he's the best player in the league. I think LeBron will kind of pace himself and then go off in the fourth quarter. KD's a candidate. It's KD's first All-Star game in five years. First All-Star game he's played in in five years. Devin Booker. See, I'm going to go either between KD, Book, or Steph. This is hard. I think Steph hits the walk-off. But Dame hit the walk-off last year, didn't win MVP. Jason Tatum won MVP. Hmm. They should play the Jeopardy music right now over me. I'm going to go D-Book wins All-Star Game MVP. Booker wins. Okay, so let's recap All-Star Weekend, okay? Here's what's going to happen on All-Star Weekend. You heard it here first on Carving Up Live on a Friday, day before All-Star Saturday night, okay? Steph Curry's going to beat Sabrina Unescu in their three-point contest. For the actual three-point contest that, that, that the NBA has, Donovan Mitchell's going to win it. 
In the dunk contest, Mac McClung's going to go back-to-back, defend his title, and I think he beats Jalen Brown in the final. In the All-Star game, the Western Conference wins, Steph Curry hits the walk-off shot, and Devin Booker wins MVP. Because Devin Booker is a buck. He can get any shot he wants anywhere on the floor. He's the closest thing in the modern game we have to Kobe Bryant. There you go. That's what I got. That'll be a fun All-Star weekend. Uh, see, 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 my guy, my guy Tim uh, uh, from the Boston Sports Summit. Check out his show, by the way, on the Grid Network every Wednesday night at 7 Eastern. Steph Curry MVP. What a hot take from a Warrior fan, LOL. And then he walks it back. Oh, sorry, Steph hits the walk-off. Ha-ha. Yeah, see, see, I'm objective. I recognize Steph is the all-time greatest shooter ever. I believe he's the second-best player in the world to Jokic. Uh, but D-Book, D-Book, yeah, whatever shot he wants. So that's what I got. Of course, if a Warrior's in the All-Star game, I'm going to pull for the Western Conference, of course. So there you go. And I do think, though, Tim, your guy Jalen Brown does make the— uh, it, it comes down to him and Matt McClung for the dunk contest, like back and forth. I got Matt McClung winning because the dude is a showstopper in regards to the dunk contest. It has been since he was in high school. No doubt about it. Okay. So, listen, man, it was a um, it was a heavy first 25 minutes to start this show. And I hope and I pray that we don't get, and then, you know, the one the show. I hope and I pray that we don't get numb to this. Because it feels like, I don't, th- as a matter of fact, I don't think the people's gotten numb to it. I think those in power not only gotten numb to it, but it doesn't bother them that this is happening. Otherwise, we would have had some some form of legislative action. <sighs> My prayers are with those in Kansas City, to all those affected, to the family of the woman who lost her life. It is absolutely gut-wrenching. Uh, it's frustrating. It, it, it's... There's a lot of nuance that's in this discussion while simultaneously a lot of simplicity in the fixes. And there's certainly simplicity on what we agree on what the fixes are. If you look at any poll around the country in regards to fixing gun violence, background checks, I mean, you start kind of start from there and, and work your way. We tend to agree far more than we disagree on those on the solutions for this issue. And so I hope And I pray for all those in Kansas City, for all those who have been affected by shootings. Listen, it's, as I talked about earlier, it's who we are as America. It is. It's who we are. Listen, owning people 160 years ago was who we were. Didn't make it right, and thank God, due to the hard hard work of incredible men and women, we were able to disband it. This country was able to get rid of, of, of slavery. And it's 100 years later, shouldn't have taken this long, but eventually get rid of Jim Crow laws and other things. You can use plenty of other examples in American history for a lot of different subjects. Um, I pray that a similar story can be told about this issue and that it won't take as long of a period of time. It's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take all of us using our voice in the ballot box. It's going to take all of us using our voice in terms of we have the ability, as I say at the end of every show, to connect uh, with those to contact, rather, those who have the power in their hands to do something about this. And if they don't do something about this, we have the opportunity to vote them out of office for those who hopefully will um, try and address this, this issue. Because the one thing we can all agree on 
and that's objectively true, is that it is a it is an epidemic in this country, has been for a very long time, and the innocence of childhood is being stripped away from a lot of generations, um, to a certain degree, my my own generation included, and it's it's unacceptable. There's no two ways about it. And so hopefully, through the other topics on the show, I, the show was able to provide some level of – I don't want to use the word escape. The only reason I say that is because I don't want – I want this to stay fresh. I want us to remember this and other shootings and, and be able to, to use our voices to make change. But hopefully, for the other topics on the show, it was able to be a sense of, of fun, of laughter, of coming together to talk about sports. And that's what this show, that's really the basis of this show. Although I do talk about issues that I believe are crucially important to all of us. And um, hopefully we were able to do that for you today. And so with that, that is all the time I have for today's show. As always, I appreciate genuinely everybody stopping by, taking the time out of, your, out of their day to watch this show. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and please take a couple seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. Have the subscriber count go up a little bit in the, in the last few days. A lot of Chiefs fans um, uh, appreciated, I guess, my, my, my home stake the other day. So, uh, shout out Chiefs Kingdom. And y'all are going through a lot right now. And uh, we are certainly with you. We are all with you. And we'll do whatever we can to to try and stop something what happened the other day from ever happening again to you or to anybody. And uh, also, last thing, just as importantly, be sure to go subscribe. Just as importantly, subscribe to my show. Be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere that you get your favorite podcast. We have some fantastic content creators on this network. We got some great uh, talent in, in terms of, of writing. Patrick Brown, who commented earlier on this show, shout out to Patrick, writes some great stuff, some great articles for the Grid Network's website. Check that out. Link is in all Grid Network social media bios. Be sure to check all that stuff out. And it's going to be a fun weekend of NBA All-Star action. I'm very excited. I, I Listen, I went perfect on my picks last year. I said Dame would win three-point contest. Dame would hit the walk-off shot. To win the game, I never predicted an MVP. And that, uh, gosh, Matt McClung will win the dunk contest. There you go. All right. I'll see you next Monday. Please stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And as I talked about in detail today, and I say at the end of every show, please, please, please be, be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence here in America it's it's on I, I could talk about this for a long time. It is unacceptable. And there's some good people in this country who like like all of us who are looking for a solution and looking for people who will entertain the idea of such solutions. And there are many. There is no one. There's no one fix to stop this problem. There is no anybody that tells you there's one thing you do one thing. It's going to change it. They're lying to you. There's a lot of facets. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of areas that need to be addressed. Let's put in people who will do it. So with that, I'll see y'all on Monday, hopefully in a 
certainly at least to start the show and to, to conclude a lighter mood. NBA All-Star action, maybe have some NFL. I know there's a lot of quarterback talk revolving my Steelers, uh, Justin Fields stuff, so talk about that potentially. So I'll see all them. Please stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grid Network.